Let's take our Bibles and turn to Amos chapter 6. Take your King James Bible, amen? I was talking to someone yesterday, and, and uh, he was, uh, had lots of different questions for me. And he says, do you use King James Bible? I says, yes, sir, we do. And uh, he says, boy, I'm just becoming aware of how terrible the NIV is. I says, well, amen. He's 81 years old, and so praise the Lord that you folk uh, are ahead of the game on some of those issues, amen? Amos chapter 1, Amos chapter 1, here in Amos chapter 1, verse number 1, chapter 6, I'm par- pardon me, verse number 6. I said that backwards again. I got to let my head catch up to <laughs> everything here. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. All right, did I say that right? <laughs> Amos 6, verse 1. Amos 6, verse 1. Just want to read a phrase here, and then we'll pray and begin. Verse number 1 of Amos 6. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious Word of God. I pray that you would just lead us and guide us, help us to understand what you have for us today, and Lord, may it be given uh, and illuminated by the Holy Spirit of God, and and Lord, may we focus in on what your Word has to say and, and just accomplish, Lord, what you desire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Book of Amos is a tremendous book, as well as all the books of the Bible, amen, but uh, uh, he was from Judah, but he ministered primarily to uh, the northern ten tribes uh, called Israel at that time in the divided kingdom, and so he was called to minister to them, although his message uh, also was directed at times to Judah, as you can see the different references to Judah throughout the book. First two chapters... Uh, he uh, addresses different nations, and it's really an introduction to the, uh, to the whole uh, uh, book here, this prophet, prophetic book, and uh, chapters 1 and 2. So he deals with different nations, including the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, and he spends more time, uh, gives, there's more verses allotted to those two than the previous nations, but he talks about Israel and Judah in the midst of the nations. And that's very important when you study the book to understand those opening chapters there. Uh, Following this lengthy introduction to the book of Amos, we find the rest of the prophecy really divided into two different parts, two basic parts. The first part, um, I believe, is his sermon. (laughs) All right? It's his sermon uh, to the northern kingdom, and not to this, this, uh, or not to uh, uh, put uh, Judah out of the picture, but primarily to Israel, uh, the, for the uh, northern ten tribes. And <clears throat> some think that this is four different uh, addresses that he made to the nation. I believe it was definitely a verbal address that he gave. But praise the Lord that through the Spirit of God and the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Uh, he, um, a minister of inspiration, that he wrote it down for us, and we have it uh, written for us today. I kind of think it's all one sermon, but four different points, <laughs> and so it's rather a long sermon. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, it was a message given by God through his prophet Amos to the uh, ten tribes in the north. And, uh, <clears throat> and so we can see this admonition uh, as he, uh, his, he in chapters 3 through 6 
uh, <clears throat> they're uh, identified by the compelling admonition to hear. Each chapter starts with hear, except for chapter 6, which is woe. And we find that this is the second woe mentioned in his sermon as you look back to uh, chapter 5, verse 18, and find that first woe. All right, but then the second part in chapters 7 through 9, it contains five visions. We won't get into the details of that. But looking at just briefly here, a basic outline of his sermon, or four sermons, if you please, uh, if if you'd rather, uh, of uh, Amos' message to Israel. First of all, we find in chapter 3 the surety of judgment. Judgment is sure. Judgment is sure. And then in chapter 4, he does some reflections on past judgments. And when you look at this, you need to understand that Israel was thinking, God's not going to judge us. Uh, Amos is telling them that they're going to be dispersed from the land. No, that's not going to happen. You know, and so, and so uh, they, uh, he reflects on past judgments and, uh, and their failures to adhere to those warnings and so on. And then he gives some admonitions, a series of admonitions there in chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, which we want to focus in on today, there's a failure because of their self-reliance. And chapter 6, I believe, concludes Amos' messages, at, for, at least it concludes his messages, if you, if you desire, and, uh, to the northern uh, kingdom. And then he commences with, with visions that he received from the Lord, and each one has a specific message. But when we look at this, there's some tremendous applications that we can make today. We live in a very troubled world. Uh, you know, and... Uh, I, I really had a great day on Monday. We, we uh, did our family thing. We got together, um, and uh, we usually go to Subway, but we ended up going to Starbucks of all places. I don't know why we went there. I guess there was a new Starbucks there, and it was right across from the Cenotaph where we usually go to a Remembrance Day ceremony. I, I noticed that they had the road all blocked off, so we were going to walk, and, and uh, my wife decided to... That, uh, that it would be better if I drove. For, <laughs> we won't get into all that. But anyway, we drove to a parking lot and walked from there, which was all right. And we got a little bit closer to the place there and uh, got uh, there with the family. And uh, half of our family is in this uh, uh, Chilliwack area. So we all got together. Then we walked across to the Cenotaph. Well, people were, went to the intersection. They're waiting for a light. There's no lights there. You know, and so I just kind of laughed. I jaywalked out right across because there's no traffic. Why? You know what they did? They had to block off those streets, or they did, whether they had to or not. They blocked them off. Great big, huge, uh, you know, dump trucks with another dump trailer and buses. And guess what else was present there? (laughs) Who else had their presence? The RCMP. And they were heavily armed. As I was walking away from the ceremony, walking across the street where there's no cars or anything, there were two police officers right in the middle, and they're armed, and one of them had a machine gun. I looked at him and smiled, and he looked at me and smiled, and I nodded my head, and I went on my way. But one of the things I wanted to bring out about that ceremony is that I heard one of the best speeches I've ever heard uh, on a Remembrance Day, and I was shocked to hear it. And it was one of the best. We live in a world today where there are so many things that are changing. 
right? And I wondered if that would be the last time where I heard that kind of a speech on Remembrance Day. I hope not. But that was good. There's another issue. (laughs) I I asked Pastor Devin if I could use this as an illustration. He says, all right, so I'm I'm clear, right? (laughs) There's another issue that came up just recently, in recent days. Very popular sportscaster. He got fired from his position by <laughs> saying that everybody ought to wear poppies on Remembrance Day, you know, and coming up to it. Man, I tell you, there were a few days I forgot my poppy. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, I'm out and about, you know, and I don't have it. And there's, this was one of those years where we all lost ours. They just fell off, you know. I even had a little straw thing on thing that would protect it and stay on it. That came off. <laughs> people are coming. Do you have a poppy? I was going to other people. Do you have an extra poppy? <laughs> you know, we lost some these kind of things, and, and that, that, that happens. But the point is, you know, the, the main issue, the real issue, is that in his opinion, everybody ought to wear a poppy on Remembrance Day. But you know what an issue, a side issue that got created was? If you wear a poppy, you're racist. Because of his statement. I mean, it's not the poppy that they said was racist. It was what he said was racist. And what will happen in the future, if that keeps going, is that the poppy is going to be a symbolism of racism, just like the American flag is a symbol of racism today. All right? Now, now we need to be careful here. All right? We need to be careful. The individual in question could have said things differently. The individual in question could have had a different attitude. (laughs) But the principle is this, that here's an issue, and people are missing that issue. They create a non-related issue or something that's a non-issue altogether. It had nothing to do with it. And they make that the main issue. So they don't have to deal with a real issue that's at hand. Let's keep that in mind as we go on, and, uh, and uh, don't stumble over my illustration, but that, that's, that's the, uh, and also, I just want you to get that point there, that so many people are focusing on non-issues rather than what is really important to focus on, and they miss the point, and they argue for these non-issues, and, and there's a lot of lacuna. <laughs> Did I say that right? Anybody not know what that means? <laughs> There's gaps in their argument. They're missing all kinds of things. All right? It, it applies to other, other things like manuscripts and stuff like that, but it, where there might be missing parts. But in their arguments, there's all kinds of gaps. Why? Because they are interested in truth. They're interested in this non-issue, so they don't have to focus on what was, is a real issue. Okay? All right? And so Jesus asked many, many questions. Why? Because he wanted them to think. People don't like to think today. Although it's interesting, you go to many different learning institutions and you find that in these learning institutions, they want to have academic freedom. (laughs) Well, I believe that we ought to have freedom to think. But when Jesus asked questions, he never questioned the truth. He questioned man's reason. And he, his desire was for them to reason in truth and to come to the truth, not to question 
what has gotten to question the truth. All right? Are you with me? Okay? All right? <clears throat> and I, I hope I can say these things in the right way so that we could all get, get them in, uh, together. And so, and so sometimes academic freedom in some of these learning institutions leads to error rather than it does truth. And because, you know, for example, in this day and age in which we live, we live in a post-truth era. And they begin to question truth. And I remember one guy that, I, that went to the seminary, graduated from the seminary I graduated with. And I was out preaching on the street in Minneapolis, St. Paul. I can't remember which one it was because I did both. He came up to me and he says, I used to go to your seminary. And I said, oh, you did, really? He says, yeah. And then I, I said, I believe that if you had faith, you had to question everything. And I became an atheist. I said, well, your problem is you never trusted Jesus as your Savior. You never came to a knowledge of the truth. Right? And, so, and so there are people who want to just question everything. Why? Because they don't want to accept truth. They don't want to look at truth. They'll create a non-issue and not deal with the real issue that is at hand. Oh, this is happening in our ecclesiastical world so much today as the gospel of Jesus Christ is being eroded away where non-issues become the main focus of things rather than the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need for souls to, to get saved uh, and through the uh, death, burial, faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and they don't want to deal with the sin issue. <laughs> they just want, want salvation, that's all. Well, they don't know what they're being saved from and what they're being saved unto. Oh, so much more there. But Israel was not heeding the, prophet, uh, uh, the prophets of Jehovah, the prophets that Jehovah had sent them. Remember that Jesus said, which of the prophets have you not killed? They were a presumptuous people. They were not thinking right. And they were being... And the reason why they were not thinking right, as we'll see in this text here, the reason why is because they were giving themselves to amusement rather than musing upon the words of the prophet. And they were creating non-issues as their focus as a result rather than listening to the issue that Jehovah their God was raising with them. All right, and so let's look at this thing. And so, and 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 you know, people people love amusement today, and and it's not wrong to have fun. It's not wrong to engage in different things and to enjoy life and all of this kind of thing. But but so many today are focused on the amusement rather than than looking at the message. They want to be entertained rather than. Hear the proclamation of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God. All right? Okay. And so, and so they, some leave a church that preaches the Bible. <laughs> and they'll go to a church where they can be amused. Why? Because they don't want to be challenged by the Word of God. I know of an instance it came up in some discussions, and this person, uh, you know, uh, left a, a Bible-believing church and and uh, and a preaching church, and went to a to a, a church where they don't preach the gospel. And I thought, why would that be? Well, because 
that person can go there and feel spiritual, have this nice feeling, but don't, don't have to uh, uh, you know, be challenged with the issue that is at hand, and that's that person's sin and their need to repent and follow the Lord. Amen. All right. And so, and so, so many today, they, don't, they just want to go to a someplace where it can make them feel good and feel like they're spiritual and, uh, and without dealing with the issues that are at hand. All right, let's look at this. Uh, they lived presumptuously. In verse number one through six, there was presumptuous living. I'm not going to take time to cross-reference all of these and bring the history of all uh, the things that are here in this. It would, it would take too much time. And uh, when I went through this in our Sunday school hour, I go three to six verses at a time for 45 minutes, and we don't have that much time, amen? So I'm going to highlight some of these things and, and just follow along, but I hope you get the point here. But he says, woe, in verse number one, to them that are at ease in Zion, all right? And so... Uh, <clears throat> Um, and, uh, of course, you know, when you think of Zion, you think of Jerusalem and, and uh, that which was in Judah rather than Dan and Bethel. And you remember that in the north where Jeroboam I uh, didn't want the people and the ten tribes to, to go to Jerusalem because they, he was afraid that he would lose their loyalty and, and that they would follow David rather than following him. Of course, David was gone, and, uh, but, the, but uh, Rehoboam was down there, but he wasn't much better than Jeroboam in the long run. Both of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. We don't have time to get into all that, but the kingdom was divided. So what did he do? He made up two calves, and he sent them in Bethel and Dan. And he said, this, these be the gods that took you out of Egypt, you know, and, and this kind of thing. And he set up a false worship, but, uh, but, but incorporated in all of that was a lot of the ceremonial law, the festivities, the festivals, and all this kind of thing, over and over again. <clears throat> in the, uh, even in the, I think it's the previous chapter, where he says, I'm, I'm not going to accept your sacrifices. I'm not going to accept your religious activity, if we could put it that way. Why? Well, we're doing this, and we're doing that, and we're, but they had incorporated all kinds of paganism in, in the instructions of God and how to, how to carry out uh, their uh, 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 ceremonial worship and so forth in the, in the Old Testament, according to Old Testament law. But here, in verses 1 and 2, there's an indifference, and it begins with woe. And, of course, this is the second one. The first one is in, uh, in chapter, one, uh, chapter 5, verse 18. And, uh, and uh, uh, verse 2 uh, goes on and he gives some some uh, history here and uh, and uh, uh, we really don't have time to get into all all of that <clears throat> right at the moment. But uh, they were taking an ease. We'll just summarize all of this. They were taking at ease in their places of worship, thinking that we're okay. You know, who is this? Amos guy, anyway, coming and telling us that we're going to be driven from the land that God's given us. That's not going to happen. Look what we're doing. We're worshiping God. This isn't going to happen, you know. And, uh, and, and, so, and so they were taking ease. And uh, look at uh, uh, verse number three here. 
He says, ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near. Now, there's a lot here, but let me just put, put, bring this to a point. They were not focusing in on the main issue. They said that this will not happen to us and, uh, and that the judgment of God would not come to them. To illustrate this a little bit, look at verse 18 in chapter 5. Woe to them that desire the day of the Lord. Now, I've, for years, I've studied the matter of the day of the Lord, uh, and, uh, and it's fundamentally to Israel, all right? And, uh, and it deals with, yes, the blessings of God when he lifts the curse and he redeems Israel unto himself. The last five verses of this book deal with that, chapter 9 and the last five verses, uh, of, of Amos and, and uh, deal with the prophecy of, of restoration, all right? And, uh, and, uh, but before that takes place, there's judgment. There's a seven years of tribulation. All right? And there's a number of reasons why that's there. One of the basic fundamental reasons is to redeem Israel unto himself and get them to realize that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Messiah whom they had rejected. And then one day he's going to plant his feet on the, on the Mount of Olives and they'll look on him on whom they have pierced. And they will realize that, yes, this is Jesus, uh, the Lord. But the day of the Lord. So he says, why do you desire the day of the Lord? You know what they're doing? They're focusing in on the second part of that and not the first part of it. But th look at what it says here. It says, to what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Now, you got to understand this. God's not done with Israel. And over and over and over again, he brings out the fact that he's going to redeem them. Throughout the prophecy of Amos, even, there are messages of mercy and grace where God will redeem Israel unto himself. And he ends this whole prophecy with that in the last five verses. But for them, it was nothing but darkness. You know why? Because that generation that Amos was preaching to had determined not to believe the message of God, and that generation was going to go headlong into hell. Ah, there could have been individuals that could believe, but that generation had had it. Because over and over and over again, they put away the Word of God. All right? Oh, boy. Uh, it's 10 o'clock, right? <laughs> we, we, need, we need to move on here real quick. But there's a matter of ignorance. Then number two under this is the matter of indulgence in verses four through six. And I don't, we won't get into this for the sake of time, but I want to bring out these things that are very important. And there's a lot of cross-references here. But look, look at this just briefly here in verse number four. They lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. Uh, and they uh, chant to the sound of the viol and, uh, and uh, uh, invent themselves instruments of music like David, note the word like there, that drink wine bowls, anoint themselves with chief ointments, 
but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Let's just list these things really quickly. One of their indulgences was luxury. Luxurious indulgences. Ivory uh, decor was very popular and it was inlaid in the walls and panels during this time. And Ahab and Jezebel had used ivory uh, in the palace of Samaria. Ivory was a very uh, um, precious commodity and it's even more precious today. We used to have ivory on our our uh, keyboards, our piano keyboards, and, and that, thus the phrase, tickle the ivories, came in, you know, <laughs> when you play the piano. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, but in all of their luxury, the point was, and if you go back and you study where they were, they were merciless to the poor. And they took advantage of them. Right? They were merciless. And they oppressed them, but they embraced the luxury for themselves. It sort of reminds me of the church of Laodicea that was rich in increasing goods, and they said they had need of nothing. And you can go back and read that, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And uh, uh, when uh, 1979, I went over to uh, Turkey and uh, with my pastor at the time, Gary Armstrong, and and uh, we visited all of those cities of the book of Revelation except for Laodicea because we wanted to go to the Isle of Patmos. So we traveled down to, I forget now, the place where we went to. A very well-known place, but anyway, it's not coming into my mind. And we went there to get a boat over to the Isle of Patmos, and, and there was no boat sailing that day. It was a Saturday, so I missed, missed going to both places. Well, Gary Armstrong, he went back over there another time, and he went to Laodicea, and he says, you didn't miss anything. He says, it's just a bunch of rubble, and all there is is stones laying all over the place. They had the wrong focus. I thank God for a building. We're praying that God will give you a facility that can house the ministry here, and that's an earnest prayer of ours. And and, uh, God's given us a building, you know, and I marvel at how he's provided for that. I'd love to tell you a story about that. But <clears throat> we don't have time, and it's not the point right now. But the, the point is, is that the ministry is people. Right? We need buildings. It's important to have them. And we're praying you have one. But don't ever lose focus of what the real issue is. It's people, not property. It's people. All right. That's the purpose of the ministry. All right. Both saved and lost, but they were living in luxury. They're keeping to themselves. You know, another thing is, too, that we can, we can live in luxury with the knowledge of the Word of God. Now, I've got so much knowledge. I've got all these degrees behind my name. And what is the purpose? It's all right. To have degrees, it's all right to be to have learning institutions such as this college. But what is your purpose for learning? There's a reason to learn. One thing is to know God's truth. Another reason, but the but the reason is so that we can stay on the straight and narrow to do the work of God, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ be not compromised. All right. And keep going forward for his cause and his purpose. 
All right? But they lived in luxury at the expense of the poor. Oh, we could make more applications of the gospel there. But then also they lived on beds and, and they stretched themselves upon couches. And if you go into the matter of, the, of history here, that there was a connotation of immoral activity. And then in all of this, they were indulging in the best foods without really looking at the issue that was at hand. And it was their sin. And, and all of the blessings that they had when they came into the land flowing with milk and honey were from Jehovah, their God, who created them. And they didn't have an existence without him. All right. But now they come into this place here and they forget Jehovah. And they indulge in that which gratifies them. Whether it's that connotation there or not, that does, the point of it is, is that, that they were at ease in Zion. <laughs> and eating, you know, indulging in the best meats. <laughs> And then they delighted in music, like David. I, you know, I believe music has got a message. I believe music has a message, even without lyrics. It's interesting to note that when Nebuchadnezzar built that statue of gold, he played music, and what they do? They fell down and worshipped him. But it isn't, isn't it interesting to note that when, you know, Saul was troubled, an evil spirit was sent to him by Jehovah there, by God. And uh, however that was, he was troubled when that happened. And when David played his harp, it went away. I believe, it's interesting to compare that. I, is there some significance there? I think there is. All right. So it was like David. Well, the point of it is they, they were being entertained. They loved the entertainment. Maybe they were well-skilled in what they did, but they didn't do it for the right reason. I enjoyed that solo this morning. <laughs> in fact, it reminded me of another song. I'd like to hear you sing sometime. I'll tell you about it later on. But, uh, but I enjoy it. You know, we had a missionary couple of men <laughs> I'm not that, that talented, but they can play and this piano and sing. And, and what a blessing that is to have that ability. But they, you could tell that they did it because they love God. Amen. Amen. All right. They want to be entertained. I visited one church one time. I couldn't believe it. It was a Christmas program. And I walked in there and they had a drum set inside of a of a glass box. And I thought, boy, there must be some conservatives around here, probably with a bulletproof glass there, but that wasn't the reason. They just did it to mic it, you know. But all you could hear was just, I couldn't hear the music, couldn't hear the melody that had it turned up so loud. And they thought that they were spiritual and was worshiping the Lord. And they missed the issue. A young guy got up to preach. And he stumbled all over himself, and he had a great text and a great opportunity to expound on that text. And, and quite frankly, he failed miserably. 
I'm not even sure he really knew the Lord. Don't ask me why I was there. I was, <laughs> that's another, I, you know, I got drawn into that unexpectedly. But I tell you, there's a lot of people that just want entertainment today. They get amused to the point where they can't think right anymore. And then, and then there was drunken indulgences. They drank wine out of bowls. And uh, there's a possibility this had some cultic uh, uh, connotations from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, Numbers, and so on. Uh, possibly there. I'm not positive, but possibly. Uh, but nonetheless, they drank out of bowls. It wasn't just a little tiny glass. You know, there was extreme indulgences. They were drunken. And then they had fine oils, and they would anoint their guests as they would come and visit while they observed their feasts in worshiping God. <laughs> and then they would anoint with these oils. And, and uh, I tell you, you know, every once in a while, I have to go to a chiropractor, <laughs> you know. And I, I kind of miss, uh, I went to physio for about a year uh, back a while back. And, uh, man, I just en I enjoyed that so much, I fell asleep on the table. <laughs> I, I thought, why do I ever want to get better? <laughs> just stay here. <laughs> you know? uh, but, uh, uh, listen, uh, you know, they were indulging in all these things that just gratify the flesh. And then all of this, they oppressed the needy. I tell you, we've got needy all around us. Listen, I'm not preaching a, a social gospel here. We can see that out there all the time. But we've got people who need the Lord. We've got people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we have Christians who are truly saved that are searching, and they don't have a church that preaches, thus saith the Lord, and stands true to the book. I talked to a guy yesterday, and he says, my church used to be called a Baptist church, and they dropped the name. I says, yeah, I know I'm aware of it. I've followed that. I know some people there. And uh, 81 years of age, and, and he says, I'm just really searching. And his wife is starting to have the first uh, onset of Alzheimer's, and so he's got to be very careful at the changes he makes. And I said, I'll be praying for you, brother, and make the right decisions. He says, I really like to come to your church because I really like what I see there. And what I hear, I like singing from the old hymns. I like, I like the, the, the fact that she opened the hymnal. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily have any problem with putting on overhead, but I like to see the notes. I had to do a funeral a while back. I lead songs in a funeral. I didn't do the funeral. I was asked by the family to lead the songs. And I said, Is there? I said to, the, to the pastor, I says, can I have a hymn book? <laughs> I just, just me, that's the way I, I lead songs. I lead songs from a hymn book. And uh, I, that's, I, I need it to remember. <laughs> Amen. But uh, uh, listen, listen, there's, there's so much today that, that just gets off from the real issues. And they become amused. They go to church. They get entertained. They feel spiritual. They feel when they leave that they fulfilled their obligations and they go out unchanged. 
They go out untouched by the precious Word of God. They go out unconvicted by the Holy Spirit of God. And they're amused. They don't think. All of these indulgences are distractions from reality. These indulgences distracted Israel from the reality of their current state. They were being amused, and they failed to muse upon the message of God's prophet. You know, many churches that used to preach the word of God didn't just drop the Bible overnight unless another pastor comes in. But even at that, there are things that happened through the ages, through the years, pardon me, where they came to a point where they just were indifferent and they didn't see the changes that were taking place and they weren't concerned about it. Vance Havner, I don't know if you ever met him, he, he, I forget the year he died. It was, it was in my lifetime when he passed away, but he, he was much older. I never met him. I heard a message on tape before and have some of this stuff. And, uh, and uh, it, you know, there's a whole context there of his life, and, and there's some things there that probably we could see where he needed to make some decisions, but he did have principles about him. Vance Havner was dining in a dim-lit restaurant one time, and it grabbed the menu, and it took a while for him, his eyes to adjust, <laughs> to read the menu. <laughs> and pretty soon he could see the menu. He could read it. And he said this, Isn't it strange how easy it is to be accustomed to the dark? I'll tell you, our world is dimming. It's getting a lot more, more dark. We don't, we don't have the light that we need. And we need the message to be crystal clear. We need sound doctrine. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a point where people just don't care about doctrine anymore. I, I, this man I met with here yesterday had, a, had his list, and we were at the NW, had coffee. He bought me coffee, and he says, I got a lot of questions for you. I says, hey, man, ask him. Let's go. And, uh, and uh, he thought they were going to be tough questions for me. I was delighted with him. I was delighted. What do you think about this? Well, this is what the Bible says. This is where I stand. This is what I believe. What do you think about that? Well, this is what the Bible says. This is where I stand, what I believe. He says, he says, man, we don't hear this stuff anymore. We need churches that will stand for truth. Then lastly here, second point, is that they were, or not, second point, pardon me, I'll go through these quickly here. There is presumptuous occupation, verses 7 through 11. They didn't believe that they were going to go back into captivity in verses 7 and 8. Captivity was going to come. Verses 9 through 10, it talks about death, the reality that they're going to die. Oh, we hear over and over again in this world that, that uh, they're not captive, you know, and they're not going to, you know, uh, have a, uh, an accountability after death. 
They don't believe that to be that uh, there will be a, a, a presence in front of the just judge, Jesus Christ. And then verse 11, there's destruction. Doesn't speak about total destruction there of the nation of Israel because uh, <clears throat> um, uh, uh, verse, the last five verses of the, of the book uh, talks about how he's going to restore Israel, but that generation is going to be destroyed. Then thirdly, there's presumptuous strength in verses 12 through 14. They, they thought that they were strong enough. I tell you, a lot of people today think they're strong <laughs> in this world in which we live. And they're not. Because they take a non-issue and make that a major thing when the real issue is God's truth and they void it out. You know, it's okay to enjoy life. I believe it is. It's all right to, to laugh and have a good time. I like to pray, play practical jokes, and of course now I'm more mature, so I don't do that so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like to laugh with the brethren. I like to have fun. I like uh, to, to enjoy things. And there are times where I get together with people in our church and, and, uh, and we just do something enjoyable. I was with a dear brother. He came down to where we were um, uh, and, uh, down in the Long Beach, Washington there, and we sat at Waikiki Beach together. Do you know there's a Waikiki Beach in Washington? <laughs> I met a, met a lady uh, that uh, was uh, darker skinned, and uh, she says, is this Waikiki Beach? And I says, yeah. I says, she says, is this all there is to it? And I says, yeah. I says, are you from Hawaii? She says, yeah. I said, yeah, this is it. <laughs> and we laughed. But John and I, we sat out there, and we watched the waves come in, and, and I love to watch the waves come in. And uh, sometimes right in that area, there's hardly any waves, and sometimes there's some pretty, pretty spectacular waves for that area anyway. And, uh, and boy, I'll tell you, we got to talking about different things and just opening our heart. Man, we had a good time fellowship. We laughed, we joked, we got serious about some things. You know, it's all right to enjoy life. But I tell you, it's wrong for us to embrace amusement to the point where we fail to muse on the message of God. And we need to lead people in the right direction that they will think on truth and embrace it. Far too many churches today are drifting in the wrong direction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you take these Words, Lord, as scattered and stammering as they might be, Lord, and that you would just bring the message home to hearts through thy spirit, Lord. Thank you for this, thy people. Thank you for Pastor White and this church, this college. Pray that thy hand of blessing would continue to be upon it. Lord, may through thy word and through thy divine direction, may this ministry stay the course. 
for thy honor and thy glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.